Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I've got an urgent question for you, animal-related. Okay. Why are baby chickens the only cute baby birds? They really are, aren't they? They come out so fluffy. I mean, ducks. Ducks, geese, geese. Chickens and ducks and geese. But like a baby pigeon? Horrifying. It's true. I mean, I've got to tell you too about the little ba- the little furry baby chicks. Yeah. We have a duck crossing sign on my street. And uh-huh. Aaron, that's where they cross. <gasps> they they're, listen. And the mama and and they they multiply, right? Like they're two, there's like a mom and a dad and then by by like ne- like now there's like three or four moms and dads and like lots of tiny little furry like baby geese or ducks whatever the fuck they are and I love uh-huh. it because they caboose it. So the mom's uh-huh. in the front and the pop brings up the rear and all the little guys cross the street Aww. and everybody stops and lets them cross. But it's really funny because they literally cross at the duck crossing sign. Oh my gosh. There's a, there's a couple swans that live in a lake near my parents' house where my mom likes to go lake kayaking. <laughs> my mother contains multitudes. Um, and when I was there a couple summers ago, uh, I got to see the swans with their babies. Baby swans, also cute. They're so really. Is it just the birds that fly a lot that it's are kind of flying ugly? birds? The real baby flying, flying birds. birds. Baby California condor, horrifying, <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, adult California condor, also horrifying. But fierce. That's okay. They're fierce. they're cool because they're like dinosaurs. Anyway, uh, let's get to the show. <laughs> We've got a big show for you this week. We are joined by Representative Rosa DeLauro, Bethany Frankel, Julissa Arce, and Grace Parra to tackle the following questions. How many people had to fuck up to bring us to a place where moms can't find formula for their babies? Can you jujitsu a job you hate into a career you love? How do we celebrate people for showing up for each other in the face of tragedies that never should have happened in the first place? And what are we looking forward to? All this and more right now. Alyssa. Yeah. Another week. Another dumpster fire. Another steaming pile of no thank you. <laughs> you want to talk about the primaries that happened this week? Yeah. I mean, I guess like fairly expected, right? The people who supported Donald Trump won. Though it's like, it was really like, I felt like, we're in this place where the news is still just like, and by news, I mean cable, is like just grappling for drama and for, you know, and it's like, no, there's no, I don't care. It's, I have no bandwidth for none. political drama right now. Guess none. what? I watched it last night. People won. People lost. It was fine. <laughs> yeah. I think that um, right now is not the time, guys. We we don't have the time to- no get invested emotionally in a primary race in North Carolina, although it does feel nice to see Madison Cawthorn experience a consequence. 
It does. Like, it does. It it does feel nice. Um, he's he's a person that has had a life mostly free of consequences. Um, and and now he's you know there was a consequence. I guess the real cocaine orgies were inside all of us all along. I don't I don't know. Um, I, one thing I that I did think was interesting that I wanted to flag. Hmm. Um was a uh, an actual crazy person won the Republican primary for governor in Pennsylvania. That was after, though, Democrats actually helped him campaign. Well, how did that happen? So Josh Shapiro, who is the Democratic nominee for governor in Pennsylvania, and uh, Democrats in Pennsylvania helped Mastriano win, according to Playbook. This morning, um, they view him as the easiest Republican to defeat in general. So the Shapiro campaign spent $840,000 to air a spot that attacked Mastriano with the intent of riling up the right, apparently. Hmm. Um, they called him one of Donald Trump's strongest supporters, which to, to like, you know, people who vote in GOP primaries are inter- interested in that for sure. Here's the thing. It's a risky thing for them to do, to basically say, like, yeah, actually, we're glad that this guy won and we don't mind that we helped him win. I think it's risky because this guy is actually a crazy person. But, you know, if that's what it takes to win, then, you know, cool. I hope that their gamble pays off because yeah. uh, a lot is riding. Lots riding this on one, this guy. This one backfired. It's a, it's a fucking problem. Yeah. If that one backfired, people should lose their jobs and not be allowed to work in politics for a specific period of time. But uh, the, our listeners in uh, Pennsylvania, among which are my in-laws, <laughs> uh, I know that they're not going to be complacent because the people who listen to the show are not complacent no. people. But definitely do not get comfortable with an actual crazy person running for a major state office because I believe that Pennsylvania has a Republican uh, legislative chamber. Like yes. It's been gerrymandered into being very Republican. And so it's one of those states that if Roe were to fall, which it probably will, where um, a Republican governor and Republican legislature could definitely make uh, – abortion care inaccessible for all of the people in Pennsylvania. So that's, you cannot, you cannot, we cannot elect Republican governors anymore. We're not doing that anymore. We're showing up and we're voting for a Democrat or a progressive. We are not, we are, we are making sure that Republicans do not win gubernatorial races because that's, uh, that's real dangerous in a post-roll world for sure. You got to show up. I'm sort of over the media extrapolation of like the national mood or like oh, whether totally. Trumpism is failed based on like local political action. I find it to be so tiresome. Um, and I also sort of hate the Trump scorecard. Oh, I agree. It does feel good to like watch him not be right about things and be like immediately like he he tried to back this candidate and this candidate lost or whatever. And, you know, it's it's nice to see him be incorrect, but also, like, who fucking cares? The guy has not done a single thing except hold rallies since he's been president. He hasn't even launched a successful social media company. Like, he's got all the clout in the world, and he still can't do jack shit with it. So I I just, the, the, the obsession with the Trump scorecard is a real, I'm going to say it's a real turnoff for me. It's a turnoff. And also it's like it's also fake because the it's like the scorecard what does it really 
mean because all of the Republicans who are winning are still like espousing these fucking terrible, crazy things. It's not like his candidates aren't winning because nice, thoughtful Republicans are winning. It's like they're all still just a basket of crazy. It's just whether or not his actual stamp was on the said basket of crazy. So it's still hmm. bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's still bad. And but we just can't we can't tell how everyone in the country is feeling based on how like what, you know, tens of thousands of Republicans voted on in a random district in North Carolina or no. in Ohio or whatever. Um I just I just I hate that. And yeah, uh it it, it seems it all seems so the castle intrigue as- aspect of it all just seems so incredibly boring. Boring and like almost obscene against the backdrop of other news stories that are yeah, happening. Totally. Like, and we're going to get to those with some interview guests in our panel discussion. Um, but like the formula shortage, the racially motivated shooting in Buffalo, you know, there's all of these things that like should matter more and do matter more and are more important to discuss right now than like was Madison Cawthorn nice when he conceded his right. Great. Primary race. No like, one cares. But like, fuck that guy, first of all. But yes. also, like, I'm I'm offering like a like a tepid dismissive, like, fuck, yeah, fuck that guy. Like, move along, please. Right. We got bigger fish to fry. Bigger fish to fry, indeed. And in that spirit, let's take a quick break and get to some of the more important issues of the week. First, we've got an interview with Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro, and we've got Bethany Frankel, who has been very active helping out the people of Ukraine. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. (laughs) <laughs> not not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you 
stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back. Today, we're excited to welcome back one of our favorite repeat guests. She currently serves Connecticut's 3rd District and has since 1991. She's the chair of the House Appropriations Committee and a founding member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, a leader on the fight to end child poverty. And she's got a new hair color, folks. Welcome, Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro. Thank you so much, Erin. It's wonderful to join you and Alyssa. Can I tell you the story of my hair coloring? Absolutely. Always. It's very, very simple. I just haven't gotten around to get back to the hairdresser uh, to get it, you know, redone with with my purple hair. So this is the growing out of the uh, of, of, of the purple hair coloring. So I love it, though. I like the color. So we'll see. It's cool. <laughs> it's a delightful turquoise. Thank you. Yeah. Thank it's you. like a silvery mermaid. Oh, my blue. gosh. Yes. She's a mermaid, everybody. <laughs> Well, um, I wish we had you here under better circumstances, but this is an issue that I know that you have been leading the conversation on in Washington. And so we wanted you here to talk about this. In February, Abbott Nutrition, whose products account for 48% of the market share of baby formula, voluntarily recalled some of its products after some babies came down with a rare bacterial infection. That was February. It's May. And parents in the U.S. are dealing with a crisis. So parents and watchdogs have been ringing the alarm bell on this for months about the coming formula shortage and, you know, things are about to get bad. What the hell happened and why did lawmakers and regulators take so long to act? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it really is the the heart of the question here, Erin. Uh, and let me, if I can, just give you a little bit of a time frame. Because we have an issue here, there there are two related issues. One is the shortage of the product. The other is the issue of food safety and how are they tied together. Uh, The accuracy is Abbott Nutrition, uh, as we found out, uh, knowingly sold a contaminated product, infant formula. Uh, And what we also found out, because, uh, and, and let me give you a timeline. In September, the Food and Drug Administration visited the plant and they had suspicions of contamination at that moment. Subsequent to that, a whistleblower, and I was uh, tipped off to the whistleblower, and the whistleblower did a report uh, in October that went to the Food and Drug Administration. The Food and Drug Administration uh, and I made that report public at a hearing uh, as soon as I, you know, I, I, I didn't know about it until just a few weeks ago. And I made that a, a public document. Um, in, the uh, whistleblower was not interviewed until December. In January, the FDA went into the plant again 
and they found contamination. February is the recall of the product. So we have been tracking this action since the recall. But even what I immediately responded uh, in terms of asking for an, an inspector general report early in March, uh, and I had no idea about a whistleblower's report at that time. I responded to the recall. I responded to what we were, what information we had at the time, because this is, I should have started with this. Can you imagine? You're gonna, you have a newborn, you have a, you know, an infant, you know, you're feeding them, you're looking at formula and you go out, you buy a product and at least two babies die. Several are hospitalized. And then not only now you can't get the product, but you've got that feeling that, my God, am I putting my baby at risk? What mm -hmm. it, it shouldn't be that parents are caught in this situation. So I've been tracking it since the recall. In March, I asked for an office of the inspector general to do a report on the bad actors in this. And I would say to both, we've got uh, Abbott and we got FDA to not move. In April, I made the whistleblower report public. In May and tomorrow, I'm doing, there's a hearing uh, with the director of the FDA who's coming in on his budget, but my line of questioning is gonna be on this issue. Next week on the 25th, we have a panel of experts coming in. I'm gonna introduce uh, legislation that deals with uh, the issue of uh, how do we tighten this process? How do we uh, get to the FDA with new authorities? I introduced, and I'll be on the floor of the House tonight with a bill that provides the FDA with uh, resources in order for them to deal with the supply chain and in order to be able to provide them with the kinds of staffing they need in order to inspect facilities uh, for safety and also to uh, inspect people who are sending in a submission of wanting to get into the U.S. market on infant formula. So my goal is to deal with the investigations, long-term where we go from here, short-term we got to get a product on the market. We cannot leave a, a family's high and dry, but whatever goes on the market has got to be safe. Mm -hmm. We've got to ensure the safety of this product for families. Congresswoman, can you tell us in a little greater detail what the legislation you filed yesterday will do for parents and how it will help this terrible process? Uh, sure. What we're trying to do, as I say, provide them uh, with uh, the ability uh, to deal with, you know, monitoring the supply chain of how we can get product to where it needs to go. In addition to which, I want product to come in from overseas or even from a domestic outlet that has been FDA approved. I do not want to see us go randomly or hear from someone who has not been FDA approved. So what we've tried to do is to provide them with a capacity uh, in terms of uh, personnel and funding for personnel and for inspection teams that can really guarantee that there's a safety of the product, that this is meeting an FDA standard. FDA has a standard. In this instance, they did not hold Abbott to the standard. So it's there and we need to hold them to the standard. One of the big issues, and we're gonna to get to this underlying issue, 
is the consolidation of the market. There are mm -hmm. only four manufacturers of infant formula. And so they have an Abbott cornered the market. And so when you have this kind of a challenge and you take the product off the market, you know, that's about 43% of the market. So that is very, very serious in terms of a shortage. So what I'm trying to do is to deal with the, the longer term issues, but in the shorter term to be able to get the uh, FDA to bring in product. Uh, and that's what this legislation is pointed at is to bring in the product um, from, uh, we have seven FDA approved facilities uh, in Europe and we can move quickly to get those facilities uh, to be providing us uh, with, uh, with infant formula and get it flown here as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So earlier this week, the FDA and Abbott reached an agreement to reopen the Michigan plant that was closed, but it's going to take two months before those products start hitting the shelves. So, you know, you mentioned that there are parents who are kind of caught in a lurch. In the meantime, what are those parents going to do to get formula between well, now and when Abbott is yeah. back up? Well, that, that's, that because there are other, we need to go to other uh, manufacturers at the moment. And there are those in the, in the United States. And it's my understanding that they are working overtime. It's that it, it is that Abbott has had the largest concentration and that's something mm -hmm. we have to deal with so that, you, you know, it's not a competitive market. It's a sole source market and that's crazy. Uh, so mm -hmm. they're going to, we're moving to get these, uh, 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 uh facilities, uh, to be producing as quickly and as fast as we can. If we have a supply in one place and not in another, how do we quickly get supply so that we're getting it out uh, uh, evenly distributed and distributed uh, in all parts of, of the country, whether rural areas or underserved areas, uh, et cetera. And then what I want to see done is, is what I mentioned before, is that we get the product from those FDA-approved facilities overseas um, uh, that can uh, help us again in the short term to get that product on the market. Because you're right, it's unacceptable to wait six or eight weeks. That consent mm -hmm. decree was to get them to be able to get inspectors to go in to make sure that the plant is up to snuff. You have no idea in the, this whistleblower's report mm -hmm. what is out there. Falsified records gave, you know, erroneous information to the FDA their testing procedure, they, instead of doing it on the containers that the product is in, they did it on empty bottles so that there wouldn't be any, you know, notion that there was a problem, that it wouldn't be tested because in the seams of this, more than you probably wanted to know, in the seams of the container, the powder can be there and it builds up and it can be contaminated. So they didn't test on those uh, 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 containers. They tested on empty bottles. So they cut corners. The plant was not clean. And, you, you know, Abbott has had problems in the past with salmonella. And also, which is interesting to note, which is something I just found out this morning, that in 2000, this is, uh, this is unbelievable. Unbelievable. I'm learning that in 2014, Abbott deliberately and successfully tried to weaken bacteria-tested safety standards. The FDA, the FDA,
The FDA, I would just say, I have to give them credit. In 2014, they issued a proposed rule that would increase regular safety inspections of infant formula manufacturing facilities and to prevent this kind of problem, the contamination of infant formula. That failed to happen. It failed to happen. So I, I, I view Abbott as a bad actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and we got to get FDA in line to do what they're charged with doing. They're a regulatory agency. We do not produce formula at the federal level. Mm-hmm. We have manufacturers who do that. They need to be held to the highest standards. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like I can't think of anything more evil than <gasps> going out of your way to to make it so that you can sell contaminated baby formula. And I think that maybe at the end of this, we'll be at a point where somebody should be in jail. Maybe, you know, look, Feels my, like view, that. my view on this is let's move. Let's say, let's find out who's accountable and then let's hold them accountable for them, wherever that takes us. Oh, well, Representative DeLauro, uh, I wish that there were, I wish that there were like 400 of you in Congress. Um, <laughs> the people of Connecticut are lucky to have you. Women and families mm-hmm. are lucky to have you fighting this fight. Thank you for everything you're doing. We'll definitely be paying attention to this story. Please. And um, we'll talk to you on the other side of this for sure. Wonderful. It's so great to see the both of you again. I hope you're well. I hope your families are well. And uh, just thank you so much for what you are doing and shining oh, a light thank on you. this important issue. Take care. Thank you, Congresswoman. Bye-bye. We are taking a quick break, but when we come back, Bethany Frankel. And welcome back. Super excited about this guest, Alyssa. Are you excited about this guest? Uh, We're excited. We're very happy. We're excited about this guest. She's a self-made business person, a TV producer, a philanthropist, a mother. She's a five-time New York Times bestselling author and her newest book, Business is Personal, The Truth About What It Takes to Be Successful While Staying True to Yourself. It's out now. Welcome, Bethany Frankel. Thank you. Uh, Bethany, we're so excited to talk to you about two things today, your activism and aid work, and your new book. So you've done incredible relief work uh, through your initiative, Be Strong, which is on the ground, helping in the aftermath of everything from the Puerto Rican earthquake, Surfside condo collapse, Bronx building fire, to last year's tornadoes in Kentucky. And now you've raised more than $25 million in aid for Ukraine. 125. 125. 125. Good Lord. 25 million would have been impressive. 125 is times five. Um, Can you talk a little bit about where that money is going and where the inspiration or drive came to engage in crisis work? Uh, Crisis work started back with helping women in crisis when I started Be Strong, helping a, a group of women at a time, then wanting it to be more immediate, getting into Hurricane Harvey and Puerto Rico and Bahamas and Australia and all over the world and a big PPE, 20 million plus effort. So basically it's like a business. You just sort of started with one thing that was important to you and one idea. And then each time something inspires you or motivates you to help, you get involved in that. 
Uh, and the most recent has been Ukraine. It's $125 million effort with my partner, uh, Global Empowerment Mission. They are the logistical arm. I'm sort of the vision and the communicator. And I decide whether we want to actually get involved in each effort. And in this case, we have two warehouses that house the $125 million plus in aid. And they function as warehouses for different orgs to come to get what they need for their specific hospitals, orphanages, villages, etc. Then we've had partnerships in refugee relocation and in orphan extraction with a company called Aerial Recovery Group. So we are sort of like a general contractor in relief work in being immediate, efficient, transparent, and just getting things done. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. Millennials have been plagued by so many seismic political and economic events from 9-11, the recession, and the ongoing pandemic. What's your advice to women who feel like success in their careers and even in their personal relationships uh, isn't where they want it to be? Well, Gail King the other day said that my book, Business is Personal, is the perfect book for somebody who wants to start a business. And this is so perfectly timed uh, because people are in unrest. They've wanted to do something. Now they've gotten that swift kick that kind of says they have to do something because the business and the life that they knew is no longer. So in some cases, in many cases, that's good because people have been wanting to do something, but they're in their comfort zone and now they're being propelled forward. And this book helps people to navigate what to do when you don't know what to do and where to go and how to do it. And it's a tool book. So you could basically just pull any of these tools in any small decision that you're making or action that you're taking and utilize it. So it's very comforting because it kind of gives you this business dialogue. And I truthfully was not an entrepreneur. I didn't even know what that was. I am just a person who has had different ideas and who has a tremendous work ethic and is very organized and um, just goes for it and just gets it done and figures it out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting that you said like what to do when you don't know what to do. I think that that vulnerability is is really kind of refreshing when we're talking about business. I think uh, millennial women in business have been shaped by a sort of girl boss culture that a lot of times presents like successful people in business is being so put together and always knowing what to do. And I, and I love that you said sometimes you, you don't know what to do and there's a way forward from that. Um, have you ever identified with the label of the girl boss? And now that there's like a backlash to the, the phrase girl boss, what would you like female leadership to look like? Well, first of all, it's graduation season. And the biggest problem is that people think they have to know exactly where to be. And that will stifle you and stick you in some lane that you think you need to stay in to get ahead. You just need to be the best at whatever you're doing and do it to the fullest and not compromise and not think you're better than the job and why am I doing this? Uh, You've got to just give everything your all and you'll learn. No matter what you end up doing, whatever you learn at any job, you could be a dog walker, you could be a barista, you could be picking up poop in the backyard for people. You will learn things that you never realized would be valuable later in your life. So that's the first, just get on the road. I am quoted, I think it was a year, over a year ago, before the big shot 
saying I don't like the whole girl. But before it was popular to say it wasn't a thing, I was saying girl, but I didn't like, I don't like that sort of like sassy Instagram eyelash your way out of a problem. It's just very <gasps> tacky. It's, it's kitschy and it's gimmicky. I don't like gimmicks. So I don't, you know, it's just a gimmick. Girlfriend, uh-huh. I'm a girl bot. Like that's not, that's a, that's a high accent. That's not a skill set. That's just a term. So uh-huh. it's not, you know, I don't, that's just not for me. It's called like back it up, whatever you want to call it. I don't say mogul. I don't say entrepreneur. I don't say, you know, I say brand as it pertains to the thing that I've built, but not that I, my personal brand, all these flashy statements that people make are frosting because there's no actual cupcake underneath. <laughs> and the cupcake is the best part of the cupcake. The frosting like is supposed to elevate it. Well, I think the frosting is the best part, but you cannot have the frosting without the cupcake. <laughs> uh, interesting. You not will be you need a foundation in your house. I may like the wallpaper the best, but without the foundation and the strong bones, there is no wallpaper. Mhm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And also we don't have the word boy boss. So why do we have girls? It doesn't stuff? even matter. You have other, you know, I, it's just bad bitch. It's also obnoxious. It's just, it's just the wrong thing. It's the wrong mm-hmm. thing. Bethany, most of your success in business has happened in your 40s and 50s. And personally, that feels very right to me. Would you have felt equipped to handle such success at a younger age? I probably, yes, I would have been able to handle success because it's like case law. It's the reason some people grow up earlier, like me because they were basically an adult as a child. So you can't become a seasoned business person just because you, you're getting older. And and even if you've talked to people and read more books, it doesn't mean that you'll know what you're doing. You have to make the mistakes. You have to have the case law. You have to have said, oh, that situation happened, so I won't make that mistake again. Oh, I remember when I did that. I remember when that worked or when that dynamic with this person. These are This book is lessons along the way that have folded into this ultimate quilt or cake that is now, you know, still in the process of being made. But I certainly have a lot of institutional knowledge. It doesn't really matter whether I started at 37 to become successful or 24. You just have to get that seasoning. It's like that sourdough that just if it's over years and years, that starter keeps being put into different loaves of bread, it will eventually taste really textural. A career is layered. I keep saying this. You know, you can do something and be, you could be very famous and then do something and get canceled because you've really done one thing or been known for one thing. But people who have had layered careers, they've done many different things and there have been many sides to them. It's harder for them to kind of just vanish because they've brought people with them along the way. They've had different successes along the way. You know, this business I've created is built on relationships with partners, with customers, with people. You know, you you first are on a show, you connect, you're there, Carrie Bradshaw. Okay. Then you do a relief effort. Then you connect with that person. Then you're on a different type of show, a business show. Then you connect with those people. You bring everybody along and then you have a really well-seasoned, layered relationship and career that spans the entertainment industry, the business, different cultures and, you know, geography. So that's the thing that people don't realize with the quick fix. Like you're not going to be an influencer on TikTok and have like a well-rounded brand or career. Mm -hmm. That's one element of a long journey. And I thought about Jessica Biel. I'm watching this movie, Candy. She was on Seventh Mm -hmm. Heaven. Then she was in all the magazines for having a sexy body. And she plays these amazing, interesting characters, these choices that she makes because her career is like 
layered and, and it's getting more textural. And, and then you don't think of her as seventh heaven or the girl in the bathing suit. You think of her now as this person who can play these interesting, flawed characters. So mm-hmm. that's how I think about a career. Right. So like be a Swiss army knife rather than a paring knife because uh, nobody a wants Renaissance to take... woman. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. That's great advice. Um, you know, we get emails from listeners sometimes or messages on the socials from listeners who are at a point in their careers where they want to make a leap, but they just need that last push. So what would you say to a person who's listening, who is like on the cusp of leaping from something that they're not happy doing to something risky, but that they really want to do? What would your advice be to them to like push them to do that risky thing they've always wanted to do? You know, most things don't happen. And I mean the negative, the things that you're most afraid of, the worst case scenario usually doesn't happen. And so what's the worst thing that happens? And for everybody that's different, listen, if you are supporting four children and you, you know, you need that insurance, I mean, you, you know, your own situation. I don't, I don't tell people to jump out of a plane without, <laughs> you know, without a, a parachute. I, I don't, I don't believe in that. You could also start doing something, really put yourself into your side hustle and eventually make it your real, your, your main hustle. And I say that because many people say you can't focus on two things at the same time. It is, it is sort of true, but whatever you're wanting to leave, you probably, it's probably on autopilot and you Mm -hmm. might be able to do that and then do the other thing. I don't know what the two things are because every person is unique, but I will say, what's the worst thing? I was in my late thirties. I had no safety net. I had no money. What was I going to do? I was, I was going to go work uh, in a restaurant, like, you know, chopping or be a hostess or be a bartender. You know, I would have danced on a pole if I had to support a child. Like there are things, if you are willing to work the worst case scenario, what is that? And would you go do that? But if you like your safety purgatory nest of, you know, are you a gambler? Do you want that big payoff? And is that going to be bigger than, than, than the misery of hitting the bottom? Like I'm okay with all of it. I was always like, I was at the bottom. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I wasn't at the bottom of the poverty. Uh, I wasn't at the bottom of uh, the poverty line, but in my life, I couldn't afford to take a taxi. I bounced checks. I mean, it wasn't that cute at 37, you know, I wasn't, and I didn't have anybody's, any parents couch to sleep on. So for me, I went low, you know, it, it, it was low for me. It was scary, but like nothing ventured, nothing gained that, like that dream that I overshot. You got to think about all ends of it. If you're going to make an investment, you got to think about what if the shit hits the fan and I, and it doesn't happen. You can't be that person that like, it's definitely going to happen. You just don't know, mm-hmm. but you can feel in your gut. If you've got a great idea, if you've got something, if you know you're special and you work harder than anybody else and you've got that thing, you know it, you know how you thrive, you got to go. You got to just go Mm -hmm. because what is the worst thing that can happen? You, if you're willing to do whatever it takes to support your family and that's the only situation, if you're, if you don't have a family and you're single, then you have to do it. Like if you're on your Mm -hmm. own and you have nobody else to support, then I don't even want to hear it. Go do it. Go do it. (laughs) You're young. If you're under 35, and you don't have kids to support, go do it. You know, it's when you're when you're you're 48 years old and you've got a kid and you've got a divorce and you've got bills and you got, you know, problems. That's when you have the thought to have. But if you're young and you don't have a lot of responsibilities, then there's no reason. So what? You have a few pairs of shoes left, you go broke, you'll figure it out. 
Wow. Uh, Bethany, you made me want to quit a job that I haven't had since I was 27 years old. I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to march into my boss's office and quit. It's like, oh, I haven't worked in an office since the year 2011. Um, (laughs) But I quit that job retroactively in 2009 now because of (laughs) that pep talk. (laughs) Bethany Frankel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for everything you're doing for people in Ukraine. It has been really inspiring to watch you, you know, get your message out there and really and really be vocal on this issue. It's been really cool to see. Thank you. Yay. Well, thanks for having me. Take care. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for overeducated, underloved women. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I'm never going to let that joke die. It's it's too funny. Matt Gaetz is just a a gift that keeps on giving. Alyssa, Mm. I wanted to talk today. You know, we've we've been kind of talking about the formula shortage, you and I, on text message and, and how of heartbreaking it is and, and upsetting it is. Um, something that I have seen over the last few weeks in my socials is mothers um, posting like things about, you know, formula needs or whatever and and trying to help each other. Just mm-hmm. like on the ground DIY, get formula to people who need it. Strangers in some cases. Yep. Um, the other day I got a text from a friend um, on my on my mom chain from friends from college, and she her cousin was looking for formula for her baby. It's like a special kind of formula because the baby's allergic to cow milk. I posted it on my socials, and hysteria listeners came through. I cannot tell you, I, I didn't count, but there were dozens of people who reached out saying that they would look for the formula. They'd found it in their local Walmart. There is people from Canada and Europe who are like, I can find it. I will send it. Where do I send it? It was amazing. But also when I was done feeling like heartened by the goodness in people to take time out of their day to help strangers, I got like triple angry that they even had to do that. Totally. In the first place. I, like, I, I don't know. Are you having some, like, complicated feelings about the formula shortage and, and the way that I can see that the kind of arc of the way that it's being covered is like, check out these heroes? It know? is. And it's like, you know, for me, on top of the formula shortage, which I've, you know, seen people helping people everywhere, I'm in upstate New York and— you know, the shooting in Buffalo just a couple of days ago. So now that community is back in a food desert because obviously Tops is a crime scene. And so Mm -hmm. now everybody is opening all these food banks for people in that community. And it's like, if you have things, can you send it? People from my county are like driving trucks up and trying to like, you know, get get these people food and, and the help that they need. And it's like... We're just, we're solving problems one nice person at a time who's paying attention. 
Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like that shouldn't that, no like we we shouldn't live in a world where that happened, you know. And and I and I think that there's uplifting stories that happen in in the aftermath of tragedy, and there are the helpers, like Mister Rogers saying, "Look for the helpers." Um, but then there's also this sort of building feeling of sadness around the fact that they shouldn't have had to be pushed to that point in the first place. And so to talk about this complicated issue, um, I can't think of a better panel. First off, she is a speaker, activist, and best-selling author, and her newest book, You Sound Like a White Girl, is available now. Julissa Arce, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and excited to maybe not the right word, but I'm excited to be with y'all and mm-hmm. looking forward to the conversation. I'm very much looking forward to what you have to say about this. Um, and without further ado, last but not least, she's an actor, TV writer, activist, and she's coming to us live from Ohio today. Grace Parajani. Grace Midwest Parajani? Is this my new... Yeah. I'm in my Ohio era, I guess. <laughs> Hi. Hi from Ohio. <laughs> I'm only here temporarily. Uh, it is a delight. Uh, it is uh, definitely very Midwestern. Shockingly, although we're on the East Coast, which is something I am not adjusted to at all. And don't think of Ohio as particularly East Coast, but here we are on Eastern Standard Time. We're glad to have you. Uh, We're glad to have you coming from Ohio. Uh, We have been talking about the news over the last few weeks and kind of took a step back this week um, when I was trying to find ways to feel good about the world. And like, you know, like I said, looking for the helpers. And I realized that, you know, there's so many ways that systems are failing people across the country through different issues um, and that people are stepping up to fill those gaps. Um, Julissa, I wonder how you have witnessed systemic failure and individuals stepping up to help who never should have had to step up. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, this this week has been tough um, for, you know, all of all of the news that, that are going on. Um, on Saturday, I was supposed to go on MSNBC, um, America's Voice with Alicia Menendez. And we were going to talk about the baby uh, formula shortage vis-a-vis what Greg Abbott has said about it, right? That it's illegal babies. Like now we're calling babies illegals. That it's like, why are we giving illegal babies formula instead of giving it to American babies? And it's like, well, first of all, we should talk about the fact that there are babies in federal custody, that there are babies in detention centers, that there are mothers who have babies young enough to need formula in government custody. They're basically prisoners, like in detention centers, right? Um, so uh, we were, uh, me and Maria Nojosa were going to be on a panel to, to discuss. And and then Buffalo happened, right? Buffalo happened on Saturday. And so then we were sort of on standby to see if we were going to get on or not. And then ultimately we didn't. And, and that to me mm-hmm. just illustrates the shit show that we're in right now, right? Which is like, we were there to talk about this horrible thing, and not just the horrible um, shortage of the of the baby formula, but how politicians are making it worse by the things that they're saying. Mm-hmm. And then we get bumped because this other horrible thing happened that mm-hmm. is horrible in it of itself, 
uh, it's affecting so many families and people, but it is also a direct, there's a direct connection between what happened in Buffalo and what politicians are saying, right? Mm-hmm. Because politicians are repeating the words um, of, of things like the, the, the great replacement theory, et cetera, that is causing um, this sort of like real violence in communities of color and immigrant communities. And so that just to me, like that Saturday, I was just so depressed after because it's like one horrible thing after another horrible thing. And then I I came across a story of a woman in New Mexico, a 75-year-old grandma, uh, Amelia Vaca, who was shot and killed by police while she was having a dementia episode. And then it was like, I was so depressed about that. And then only more depressed by the fact that the media didn't cover that story at all. And so it was just mm-hmm. like so many, you know, so many awful things. But to your point about when horrible things happen, I feel like people do take that that anger and that very righteous in in enragement and turn it into positive action, right? And and do things about it, like the like the the food banks that you're talking about, people going out of their way to get ba- ba- baby formula. Um, I mean, in the Latino community, it's like people knowing about um, this this Latina grandma who was shot and killed by police in New Mexico, and sending it to everybody we know, right? So that so that we can be the megaphones for these stories. Because when the media is not covering the stories, it is up to us to be those megaphones and to be the people mm-hmm. that bring attention to the stories. And so, people do always step up. But it's like, how much energy can one? community can one people have to confront this because you know on top of all of that it's also like people are still sick with covid like my my husband has covid right now oh, and I'm so um you know i take my cat to the hospital and it's like all of these things are happening and that and that's true for every single person probably listening to the show right we all have shit that are happening in our own lives coupled with what is happening in our communities and sometimes i think Unfortunately, I mean, this is just a coping mechanism perhaps, but a lot of times it's like, okay, I would rather focus on the things going on outside of my home, you know, because that'll distract me. Like I can, I can think less about the fact that like my, my little cat is super sick or that Fernando's sick and I can like focus on, mm-hmm. um, you know, sharing the story and making sure people know about it, um, sort of debunking these things, uh, you know, showing up for protests, doing all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is really exhausting. And I just want to take a moment to give space to say it's okay if you're exhausted and it's also okay if you don't have the energy to go out and do all of these things. Uh, mm-hmm. Because one, you shouldn't have to. And two, like, it's okay to be exhausted. I think like a lot of us are feeling that exhaustion and it's okay mm-hmm. to take a step back sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Grace, you look like you have something Oh, to I ask. was just, I was uh, raising my hand and smiling when Julissa talked about exhaustion because my goodness, do I feel that. A, that is me to a, a millionth degree. Um, I feel like my bandwidth is, is um, uh, has been very tested in the last few weeks. Um, I did have a unique thing that happened to me though, that, that, that is coming on the tails of what Julissa just mentioned with regard to how do we kind of balance the uh, necessity of like putting one foot in front of the other, doing our job, showing up for the people that we need to, while also showing empathy for this plethora of stories. This is this is weird, I, but I'm not sure how many of our listeners know that I'm a writer for a Star Trek show, Star Trek Lower Decks, and it is uh, it is it is pretty pretty wild. I was not a Trekkie going into it, but uh, I I love the world now of Star Trek. And this past week, I had this very unique experience of having to write an episode of a show without giving too much away. 
that's about a matriarchal society, a matriarchal society where all the men exist on this planet um, to basically give foot massages to women and to dance around in gilded cages. Uh And I have to say that the dichotomy of living in the world that we do today while being able to write this totally fictional society uh, that treats women and men in the exact opposite way that we do today was uh, kind of awesome. And and it was, I felt almost guilty that I was able to have that departure from reality. Um, But it was also kind of cool. So uh, I I am looking for those little silver linings, as as I'm sure many of us are, just to try to keep my head above water when it comes to exposure to these stories. And I know that not everybody has that luxury by any means, um, but it was one that hit me this past week as particularly ironic. I had to share with you guys. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like a weird time to even try to like do anything escapist around this stuff. I mean, like, here's the thing, uh, Julie, so you talk about trying to escape, you know, or not trying to escape, but focusing on your home. Um, but the thing about, the thing about these issues that have happened in these last weeks, like they're so, okay. So the abortion Roe v. Wade thing, and the very real possibility that we could soon be living in a society where pe- the only people who can afford abortions are like the people who can afford to go to Coachella VIP. And I'm not <laughs> even exaggerating because yeah. like if there's a federal ban, like I'm not, you know, like I don't think that I'm even privileged enough to like jump the line and be able to do it. Like there's a a lot of people who are like, I'll be taken care of. I will be fine. Actually will not be fine under a federal ban. Um all of these things like have echoes in our own homes and in our own bodies. Like the formula shortage, like thinking about my baby and how much I care about her and how devastating it would be to have anxiety about feeding her. Like I can't just like focus on my home because my what's happening at home brings that stuff out yeah. of the home back it it magnifies how every single person that was killed in buffalo that was shot in orange county every single person was loved a loved yeah. person and like the focusing on loved ones reminds me of how just cruel and like completely devastating each of these things is you know like julissa you're caring for a sick animal like which is like a member of your family. And, you know, so you're thinking about all of the, the care that you put into and, and all of the anxiety that you have when they're not okay. And like every single, you know, every single issue that we're talking about today is like has to do with little tragedies that happen inside homes that we have all lived, you know? Um, I do love how you were like, I said, you know, my husband and my cat were sick and you're like, so let's talk about your cat being sick. <laughs> well, Your no, husband that is very, fine. That is very on point cat, and I love it. <laughs> a cat, the thing is like a, ca- a cat can't tell you. That's the thing. Right. Like, yeah. a, right. uh, like a little, yeah. like yes. I was, I was like sick this past week and I was worried, like I, I, it laid me totally on my ass for like two mm. days and I was worried that I might, I was testing for COVID, testing for COVID, negative, negative, negative. I feel fine now. I haven't gotten a positive test. I took a PCR test. We'll see if it was COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, But I could like tell my husband, like, I have a really terrible sinus headache. You know, Mm -hmm. I have a, and like, you know, Juniper, my, my daughter started getting the sniffles and I was like, oh no, like, what if she gets sick? What will I do? Because a, a kid that little, 
or a pet yeah. or like a, a person that is in, in any way like incapacitated can't communicate with you. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Grace, I, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, speaking of COVID, uh, I remember like over the last like couple of years, there's been this explosion of COVID GoFundMes oh my gosh. and like medical bill GoFundMes. What do you make of the fact that we live in a country where so many people have to turn to crowdfunding to pay for medical care? Is it like uplifting when a, when somebody raises $75,000 for a hospital bill? It's it's disturbing. I don't think it will ever not be disturbing to me. I think that it's I think it's uh it's an awful injustice that we live in a country that requires people to crowdfund um medical help. Uh I can't get through can't get through that, can't get over it. I mean, I understand that there are certain circumstances where I don't know. I I I'm coming at this from a place of having been in uh, you know, entertainment as my career and I remember when GoFundMe were for like comedy videos, like, hey, throw me a couple hundred bucks to like do my sketch about like eating 15 hot dogs in under 10 seconds or whatever. And to see that format replicated for dire health purposes has been so disturbing and I can't, I can't get over it. So, I mean, I think what is uplifting, I guess there are moments where it's been uplifting to see those GoFundMes come from people who don't know the people they're trying to help, where it's like, listen, I don't even know this person. I know they need help. Let's all try to chip in in some way that in some ways feels like uplifting, but generally it still just feels dystopian to me. And I don't know when it won't. I don't know when it won't stop feeling dystopian. And I also don't know when it won't be necessary. That to me, I think is what's most tragic about it. Mm -hmm. Alyssa, you're nodding. Do you have anything to add? No, I just, I feel the same way. It's like the, the go fund me-ing of our problems, which has become so routine is so, um, it's like the range of emotions, right? You, someone sends out a link, you click on it, you see someone's already raised like $10,000. You're like, this is fucking incredible. And then you start reading some of the comments and it's like, I only had a dollar to give, but you need this more than I do. And it's like, that shouldn't be the case. And then there are people, I heard someone be like, GoFundMes aren't tax deductible. And it's like, you should never say that out loud again. Like you should not <laughs> oh say my that God. out If you're worrying about tax deductible, chances are you can probably part with whatever money you're concerned about. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, to me, that's just like watching everybody. I mean, people are just literally coming out and being like, I need help. And when people come out and say that they need help and people respond, it is of course, heartwarming. But like, isn't this what our government is for? Like, shouldn't other people be helping? Like, we pay taxes. Shouldn't there be another means by which these people can get what they need? And it is not, let me be clear, it is not that I, I'm happy to help as much and as often as I can, but it's like, there. think of all the people who are too proud to ask for help. You know, we're seeing a, an infant of a fraction, a, a teeny, teeny percentage of, of help being given to help help that is needed um, by people who know enough to give it or to ask for it. And there are so many other people who are suffering in silence and who don't know where to go. And that's just kind of like where we are now. And so it's a, it's a real it's a fucking bummer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Julie, so you raised a finger. What would you like to <laughs> finger. <add>? One finger. <laughs> um, so I, just a quick thing about the whole tax deductible thing. Like, first of all, because of the changes in law code, like, and I'm not an accountant, but so don't take this as like accounting advice, but like most people cannot even tax deduct the, the, unless you're like 
itemizing deductions. Like yeah. you, most people take the standard deduction. So like just give the money where it's needed. Um, don't worry about the tax deduction because likely most people can't take it anyways. Um, but what I was just gonna, like, just kind of hearing, hearing all the comments, um, you know, about like, like, yes, it's heartwarming, but also it's like, feels dystopian. And I just kind of, I just kind of keep thinking how um, in times like these, we have to be able to hold multiple truths at once, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of these things can be true and all of these things can exist and all of these emotions can be, um, can be real. And I sort of have, I sort of have, um, taken a step away or have, have, have tried to change the way I think about things, um, to be able to hold multiple truths because, you know, it's like, I felt horrible about what happened. I try to help every way that I can. And then sometimes I also feel guilty if then I'm going out to have a drink with a friend or like I'm going out to have a good time, um, to sort of like, you know, uh, take care of my mental health. And, and I think that that then becomes a disservice, not just to myself, but to like the community that I'm trying to serve. Right. Because if mm-hmm. I'm not mentally, if I'm like mentally exhausted all the time, then I can't show up as my, as, as my best self and do the best work that I can. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I just think we have to be able to hold all of these things, all of these truths at once. Like, yes, it's terrible that these GoFunds needs have to exist. And at the same time, it is really amazing that people show up for other people, um, that they show up for strangers, for people that they don't know. And especially I find it so heartwarming when it's like a $5 donation or $1 donation or people are like, this is all I have, but like, I want to help. And I think that to me, that's that gives me a lot of hope for humanity. It gives me a lot of hope for how we can show up for one another. Um, and I think that if we can... And if we can sort of tap into that energy to say, I'm really happy and excited and heart and my my heart is warm that you were helping with this five dollar donation. Can I interest you in registering you to vote? <laughs> can I interest you in coming out to the protest? Like, can I interest you in um in getting more like civically involved? Because I think a lot of people don't quite recognize the ways in which especially local politics, uh, state politics, and I mean, of course, federal politics really affect our day-to-day lives. Like these things are happening because of a failure in policy, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so to me, it's sort of like, how do we, how do we garner um, these sort of like goodwill of people uh, and make it, and, and then expand it into, um, into sort of like a collective power where we can really change things at a, at a system level because that's what mm-hmm. needs to happen, right? Like, yes, maybe this GoFundMe's will help this one person, but they will continue to happen to Grace's point until there is a change in policy. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that is so tricky because it's so slow. Like, mm, so usually there, it's... Slow. Like, it's very rare that, like, a policy gets... It's very rare. It's, like, cause, immediate effect. Like, every once in a while, there'll be something where... Yeah, Grace, what were you Well, uh, to, to that point, I, I just, this morning, actually heard about this uh, company that is out of the UK, a British... It's a female-run uh, company that kind of aims to solve 
or at least to have a solve for um, food waste in a more chronic way and not an acute way. Because one of the, the issues I think with the the way that we do step up for each other is unfortunately it, it's an acute sort of response. Some emergency happens, everybody immediately mm-hmm. steps up. The next biggest emergency happens, everybody steps up. I mean, that's by virtue of the, the cycle of life. Um, so it's no one's fault per se, but there's this company that's called Olio that comes out of the UK. It's female led. And uh, the idea is basically to, if you're going out of town, let's say, and you've got extra food in your refrigerator and you don't want to throw it away, you can alert your neighbors. Hey, I've got some celery. Hey, I've got some bread. Come by and pick it up before I leave, which I think is genius. And it's being expanded past just food waste into, you know, other household items, or I'm not sure exactly what the, what the extent of it is, but it seems like that to me is an example of communities getting together to help each other in a chronic manner. So it's not just like, Hey, there's this emergency. Mm -hmm. Let's all step in now. It's like, Hey, this is a platform that's going to exist consistently for the food waste issue. You can pop into it when you need Mm -hmm. to, you can, you know, drop out of it if you need to, whatever the case may be use it for your own, for your own will, but it's connecting communities to address an issue that is more of a chronic rather than an acute situation. So I, I don't know mm-hmm. how that's applicable to, um, you know, healthcare, let's say, but I do think there's something interesting about essentially assuming that the system is not going to work. So how do we establish a solution that people can rely on when the system is not going to work into perpetuity? rather than a kind of acute right. fix. And you know, it's interesting, like Facebook, for all of the problems that it has, there's like a pretty thriving buy nothing community. Yes. If you look at mm. your neighborhood. Yeah. Like um, I know here in Los Angeles, my old neighborhood, buy nothing. Um, I was in my old neighborhood's buy nothing group. And it'll, it'll be people that are like, I have four placemats I was going to throw out. Like it'll be just like simple stuff. So people aren't just throwing things away that are perfectly good. Um, and then people who need them can get something for free. And sometimes people will post something that's like, hey, I just got out of a really terrible like domestic situation and I'm starting over from scratch. And if anybody has any basic household supplies they can spare, this is where, you know, and people will step up and help each other. Um, But it's still like, you know, like Alyssa said, there should be systems in place to make it so people who need things can get them. Well, it's like a couple to Grace's point. So up here where I am, the community food pantry actually started an Instagram page and they were like, here are the food pantries and they're empty. And almost every single time they post that they're empty, they're full by the end of the day. Because people just don't know. You know what I mean? Like you're going about your day to day and then you're like, oh shit. But then you also think you're like, wait a minute. So the fridge was filled by Monday night and then by Tuesday it was empty again. Like people need food. And so it's a more like active, like it's, it's, I check it every day. It's great to know. And if I can fill it, I fill it. And it's like awesome. Love that. But to Aaron, what we were saying, it's like, we have seen times though when the government has been able to jump to action, right? Like mm-hmm. the PPP, that look, now was it flawed? Were there people who abused it? Yes. But by and large, did the government kind of come up with a program that you could apply for online within a couple of days and get money to help save your business within a couple of weeks. And it just feels like that so many of the problems we have are just not being treated 
urgently. Mm-hmm. Like, like we don't need right now a 10-year fix to the formula pro- problem. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. need a stopgap solution until they can start producing it again or they can get, you know, formula in from other countries. And it just feels like that there's a real urgency to a lot of the problems that we have. And it just feels like whether at the state level or the federal level, that the response doesn't feel as urgent as the actual problem is. But the funny thing is, is that the local response is is trying to do as much as it can, right? Yeah. Like communities are coming together. They do want to help each other. Like, I don't know if the people filling the food fridge voted for Bernie or <laughs> Trump or whomever, but everyone's showing up to fill the fridges. And so I just, I don't know. I just feel like we just need a little bit more urgency yes. because it's like you can't really rely. It feels like the person who's able to donate $1 is moving with greater urgency yeah. than a federal government mm-hmm. that has billions of dollars to try to help solve some of these problems. Yeah. And and I I that's so perfect, Alyssa. And and I would I would just add one quick thing um which is that some of these problems have to be the responsibility of the federal government. And like, Mm -hmm. I do understand that um, certainly, you know, that's like the motto, the the motto, the motto of every startup, right? You see a problem and find a solution. Uh, And certainly when there's problems, like really smart people come in and they innovate and they create companies. But, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these companies start out trying to do good until they start raising a bunch of VC capital and then they have to go and then they go public and then they have to then they start worrying more about profits for investors than they do about serving their communities. And so while like, yes, I think the business sector has some uh, role in all of this and how they can step up and how they can help, um, ultimately the federal government has to create policies uh, mm-hmm. that that don't create this problems. I mean, with the baby formula, truly there is a few sort of like systemic problems that that at a policy level could be solved, right? There is the fact that there's such such little competition in baby formula makers, right? There's like four uh, baby formula makers. So when you have that and there's, there's supply chain issues, you're going to really feel it because there's only a few manufacturers. Then there mm-hmm. is also uh, all the bureaucracy about importing um, baby formula from other countries and all of that bureaucracy can very easily uh, be changed and be fixed. And, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's a, a few other issues like that specifically around the baby formula um, uh, shortage. Uh, but yeah, all that to say that I do feel like everybody has a role to play business individuals, but ultimately um, we cannot take away the responsibility that our own government has in all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing that's so infuriating about all of it. Like, I am so heartened by the, um, you know, even even on uh, on the abortion issue, it's so heartening to see people talk about, like, funding abortion funds and being willing to, um, you know, help people who need abortion care in the post-Roe world. And, and you know, people in Texas are living in a post-Roe world right mm-hmm. now. Um, I, it's so heartening to see people step up for strangers, but it just sucks that we're they're solving a problem that doesn't need to exist. And 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 it's like the the problem, it's like I think, like you said, Julissa, 
really eloquently, like holding all of the emotions around it at the same time and not letting one eclipse the other is really important. Like it is great that so many moms are like going out of their way to help each other right now. At the same time, it sucks that they have to. Right. You know, it is, it's great that so many people are willing to like drive people to, you know, California from, you know, Texas if they need abortion care, but it sucks that they have to, you know, and, and it is, it's great that there are people driving trucks up to Buffalo to help like grieving residents of a now food desert get groceries, but it fucking sucks. It sucks that they have to. It's great that that there's so many people in Poland who are able to and willing to take in Ukrainian refugees. But, you know, two months into it with very little government support, it sucks that there's no long term solution for those refugees. You know, this is happening on Mm -hmm. an international level uh, as well. And it's it is it's infuriating. Yeah. Yeah, we were when we started talking about this as like a topic for the show, Alyssa was like, let's do something about the helpers. And I was like, yay, that's uplifting. And then the more we (laughs) kind of were thinking about it, the more it's like it's actually sort of like there's not we don't have a word for it. It's it's like uplifting, but about something that it's like a silver lining for Mm -hmm. for a shit storm that shouldn't even exist. And and like there's no way. We need to come up with a word for it. I think I'm going to issue and this conversation uh, or this portion of the conversation by challenging our listeners. Uh, if you have a word that can mean something that is uplifting in a way that in a news story that should not have existed in the first place, you can tweet it at Alyssa or me or you can <laughs> use the hashtag hysteria um, because we're, we, we need a word for this. Yeah, we do. Um, we need a word for this. Um, and I wanted to, to end this by referencing a scene from the show Abbott Elementary. There's a lot of Abbots in the news. A lot of Abbots. Some good, some not so good. Yes, right. <laughs> Abbott Elementary is, is basically very good. like the, is the opposite of Greg Abbott. It is very good. It's the best Abbott. Yes, it's the, the superior best. Abbott. Yeah, Abbott Labs, bad It's the Abbott. only good Abbott. <laughs> it's the only good, Abbott Elementary, the only good Abbott. Um, but there's a scene from um, from this season, there's only one season, where Miss Teagues, um, who's the protagonist of the show, she spends all day trying to get a bulb replaced. And it <laughs> ends up- I love that episode. Like, yeah, and it ends up ca- she ends up causing like a power outage, and it's just it, everything gets complicated. And at the end of the episode, there's no air conditioning in the school, and so all the teachers are letting the kids outside to to play in the fire hydrants. And uh, Miss Teagues tells uh, Melissa, her coworker, played by Lisa Ann Walter, you know, she ha- they have a conversation about how like you just have to separate yourself so that you can continue to give as a teacher. Like if you don't have a little bit of separation or if you don't take moments to um, recharge, you're all burned out. You're not going to help anybody basically. And I think Miss Howard is involved in that conversation too. I don't want to leave Miss <laughs> Howard out of the She's she's like this 30-year veteran who is, I think, maybe yeah. my favorite character on the show. Anyway. I love her. If you're not watching Abbott Elementary, you definitely should. But that's a moment that really, I fe- that feels resonant for this week um, and every week that like, if you are not taking a moment to check in with yourself and make sure that even as you're giving, you are like recharging your own battery, you're going to burn out and that serves 
nobody. Then you're helping zero people. So um, I think that's a really important thought to, to close with. Let's take a quick break. But when we come back, a much needed sanity corner. Welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria. We have almost reached the end of the show, but not quite the end of the show. We are going to talk Sanity Corner. Oh my God. There's a squirrel standing in my <gasps> window looking in at me expectantly because I have been leaving peanuts out for crows. <gasps> it's, there's a, this is a very long story. I've been leaving peanuts out for crows because I want to train them to be my minions, <laughs> right? Sure. <laughs> But what has happened is I have started off a crow-squirrel war in my front yard. The squirrel, which we have named Rocco, now is essentially tame. And when it wants peanuts, will come and sit on the window of the office. So Rocco is (laughs) sitting on the window of my office looking at me like, bitch, where's the peanuts? Anyway, (laughs) uh, that is not my sanity corner. I think it might be my sanity corner, though. I need more of this. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the crows, there's two of them. There's like three of them sometimes, two of them most times. Sure. Crows and Rocco are not friends. They... They are, I would watch a whole cartoon series about their adventures together. It's very entertaining. Um, Before we get to the real sanity corner, we have a little bit of housekeeping. After this weekend's Bands Off Our Bodies protests, many of us are questioning what a post-Roe world will look like. This week on Strict Scrutiny, Kate and Leah interview reproductive health researcher Diana Green Foster about her 10-year study on the differences in outcomes for people who seek abortions but cannot obtain them. This is actually like a really fascinating study. Um, I think it, what is it, the Turnaway Study? It's a great, it's a super fascinating research. She's a great interview. This is, you do not want to miss this episode. And on America Dissected, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed had a conversation with Dr. Heather Irabunda, heard of her, about what the fall of Roe would mean for millions of people. Check out these great episodes and more on the Strict Scrutiny and America Dissected feeds. Okay, house has been kept. Sanity corners. Let's go. Julissa, what is keeping you sane this week? Okay, so this is like um, a multi-prong sanity corner, but it all has to do with things to look forward to. You know, like I feel like having things to look forward to has really is really keeping me sane. Like a very simple one that I look forward to every day is my morning smoothie. Like I go to bed and can't wait to wake up so that I can have my smoothie because it Mm -hmm. is that delicious and amazing. (laughs) Um, I'll share the recipe uh, on on Twitter or something. Um, But but a really big secret for making a really good smoothie is to really let it blend for like five minutes because I feel like sometimes people just blend it for like a minute and then and then that's Mm -hmm. not good. You really got to let it blend for a long time so it can be creamy and smooth and delicious. So you know I look forward to that every day. Recently I've been drinking a ton of tea, like just a ton of like different kinds of herbal teas, and I'm like, why have I not done this my whole life? Because it is they're so good and like just they're so warm and even when it's hot I'm just like, oh this tea's so good. You know, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to be in San Antonio this weekend for the San Antonio Book Festival. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, I'll be in Chicago in June for another book thing. Uh, So yeah, I'm just really looking. Two great cities. Amazing cities. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, just having things to look forward to, whether it's just like those daily routine things or like bigger going out of town things has is really keeping me. It's really keeping me sane. It's it's really keeping me like giving me something to to look forward to, um, something to keep my spirits up, something that I can be excited about, even if I'm not excited about the things happening in this moment. Mm-hmm. Right. As they say on Jojo Rabbit, no feeling is final. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. It's a, it's a good line from a good movie. Alyssa, what's keeping you sane this week? You guys, I've started gardening. <gasps> oh, yeah. I've started so, gardening. I'm so excited it about is- this. And the problem is I can't do anything in moderation. I just go ass over elbow into everything. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you already gardened. I don't know why I thought that. So we have plants, right? Like we have plants that someone else picked out and made sure they were like deer resistant and stuff like that. But I went out and I bought a bunch of ceramic pots. And I bought everything. I got black currant bushes. I got black raspberry bushes. I've got scarlet begonias. Hey, Grateful Dead. Um, (gasps) I got mint. (gasps) I am growing strawberries. And I didn't do it with like fully grown. Okay, I'm really, it's like if I get a strawberry, it's going to be because I fucking paid attention and worked hard to get a strawberry. (laughs) And the best is the woman who takes, the woman who comes to help with the bigger plants, because we have all sorts of fucking diseases now because the climate's changing. And so she came and she was just like, Oh, I see you got all these pots and you did a really good job, Alyssa. Like she treats me a little bit like I'm in kindergarten. She's like, you did a really good job, Alyssa. And I was like, mm-hmm. She goes, you know, the birds are going to eat all of the black raspberries. And I was like, listen, girl, if I get black raspberries on the bush, the, the birds can have them. I just want to like get to July and be like, look, I made fruit. So anyway, it has given me, and of course, you know, my community at Agway, I mean, you guys, I'm just... I've turned into that progressive insurance commercial where they're like, you don't have to ask everybody their name in the store. And I, and I can't help it. I can't help it. I like to know what fertilizer they like. I want to know what success they've had, you know, with, with different kinds of plants. But it is uh, it is my way. This is my new way of really trying to stay to our earlier conversation of like give myself peace away from my social media, from Twitter, from my phone, you know, for like a couple hours every day. I go out and I, you guys, if I get a blackberry or a strawberry, I'm just, Ooh. that's going on Instagram main. Yes. Okay. That's oh all I can't wait for the jams that are coming yeah. from this well, fruit. Well, of course I was like, if I'm good at this, can I grow my own fruit? And everyone's like, calm, calm down. <laughs> just one day at a time. <laughs> yeah. You need a lot of, well, you know. I like- honestly thought that you already did that. I already thought that this fruit came from no. your no, backyard. This is all this is because it tastes that good. There's your jams are so delicious. In fairness, uh, for the jams, I do normally pick the fruit the same day from someplace sure. else and process it the same day. So, so it is it's very fresh. fresh. It's very fresh, but it's not mm-hmm. from uh, it's not from the pots on my driveway. Dang, it's about to be next but ma- level. Master Monaco, Master Monaco Farms is in your future for sure. I, I want you guys. Yeah. Oh, that has such a nice yeah. ring to it. In I ten years, it. in ten years, <laughs> I want to just be wearing a kerchief and overalls. I mean, the the, the aesthetic is kind of already in my closet, but <laughs> um, oh my god, Alyssa, can I just say the extent to which our brains have like entwined? Like you're the one who was talking about green thumbs a couple weeks ago. And I was like, should I do this? Maybe I'll give it <laughs> oh a try. Oh my gosh. 
Gardening is uh, okay. So here's I'm I am also gardening, Ooh. and this summer there's there's talk in LA that you know there's going to be watering restrictions, which we should probably have anyway. And so a lot of lawns are going to die because you're not going to be allowed to water them. And so my latest obsession has been like finding California native plants and like se- trying to seed. Uh, like I'm basically I've turned my little front lawn into like a plant lab. So I need to figure out like an alternate, like, because I don't know how this USDA zone 10 works. I don't know what, I don't know how to grow any of this shit. How much should I be watering it? Like I've already accidentally killed a bunch of stuff because I'm like, I don't know. It seems like it needs water. No, it doesn't need water. It wants you to leave it alone. Um, I've been like trying out these like native plants that I get from this nursery up in Pasadena, which like only sells California native plants. I've been like trying out alternate like grass. We have some grass on our lawn and I've been trying out like some succulent plants that grow, that grow in like a grassy cover, but don't need to be watered as much. So anyway, it's gardening. I second that. I second that. And wherever you live, there are probably communities that will help you or like, like plant nurseries that will help you like plant natives in your yard. Um, especially if you're like in a place where, um, there's a prop, there's like a lack of pollinators. Like I've, I'm also now on like lawn replacing TikTok of people. Like there's this guy in Alabama who replaced his like grass lawn with Alabama native flowers. And it looks gorgeous. And it looks, there's a whole movement of no mow may here in the Northeast because there's been pollinating problems. So there'll be there. Everyone's like, try not to mow portions of your property um, so that everything can kind of thrive and get all the bees and everything going. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's, it's such a great way to take your mind off all the stuff. You know, to just have a little thing that you are like, I'm growing this Mm -hmm. California sage that if you rub up against it, you smell like the sage for the rest of the day. Oh, what a dream. Yeah, it's it's great. So get with some like native plants. I think uh, you can also listen to Emily Heller's podcast about gardening. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, That's the shout out to Emily. Um, Okay, so that's my sanity corner this week. Grace, what's keeping you sane this week? Okay, here's a sanity corner for the indoor kids. Those of us who have not yet reached our gardening eras, but will. I will get there soon. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Pluto TV. Okay. Yes. So I have have Pluto. Okay, so so it, it's the it's the free TV. It's basically like if you don't have cable and you don't want to pay for streamers. I'm in this Airbnb in Dayton, Ohio, right now, and uh, there's no there's no like cable, and we didn't want to like hook up our HBO Max or whatever, and we were just like watching Pluto TV, which I've heard about. And the same thing is like I think Samsung TV is the same thing. It's basically like just the free ass cable, the most free whatever, and they have the weirdest channels. Okay, but some of the channels are amazing, and one of them, I kid you not, is a Bob Ross channel. It's just what? all Bob Ross. all the time. And it's the best thing that I've ever seen. Now, watching a Bob Ross video on YouTube, of course, done that. Love him. Very soothing. But an entire channel of just Bob Ross on your TV feels like you're hearkening back to the early 90s in the best of ways. And there might be a commercial break every like 30 minutes or something. It's very, very infrequent. Civilized. But I... 
it's civilized. It's it's civilized, it's free, and it's all Bob Ross all the time. And you're not on your computer, you're looking at a, at a GD television screen. And sometimes you just like that throwback. And I can't tell you how awesome it is to just sit back and watch Bob Ross on your television. He's incredible. I mean, we all know this, of course, but guys, Pluto TV might be my new thing. <laughs> I, wish the people, weirdest- I wish listeners could see how excited you are, like how much you moved oh, around. Oh, I feel like it's going to come just through. now. It may come through. You're right. You're right, though. You're right. There's a lot of there's a lot of enthusiasm here for the free Bob Ross channel on Pluto. TV. But you know what, though, Grace, I felt that way when um when the I Love Lucy or the Lucy in the yes. the podcast the Lucy channel. The, no, it was the podcast that she oh. had done, a radio show she had done in the 1960s, and they released oh it God. as podcasts. And it's like, it's <gasps> the same thing. I just listened to her interview every single famous person from the 1960s. Oh and it's just like so soothing. Like yeah, I'm so learning soothing. a little something. Some of it's a little batshit. I mean, it was the early 60s. But <laughs> for the most part, same thing. Just like, <sighs> Yes. Yeah. Just feel yeah. your heart rate go down. Yeah, without pharmaceuticals. Without pharmaceuticals. <laughs> but if you need those too, you know, go I mean, them. that plus Bob Ross, my God, I might end up with a new <laughs> sanity corner. <laughs> um, that is awesome. These are all great sanity corners. Also, that plant nursery that I was talking about, if you live in Southern California, it's called Hahamonga, H-A-H-A-M-O-N-G. N-A, it, Hahamungna. I've mm. never pronounced it. Erin, that sounds like where love got killed on uh, you on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really? Is that kind where of. got killed? No, she got oh. killed in her house, but it sounds like a place love would have gone. <laughs> anyway, it is, uh, it's in this beautiful park and there's all these, it, it, it's a native plant nursery and it's like run by community volunteers and you can donate to it. And if you're in Southern California and you want to like get some native plants, that's a great place to to go. Actually, some rando on Twitter recommended it to me and, and got so nice. in favor of it. Um, all right. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Hysteria. Julissa and Grace, thank you so much for coming by. Thanks to Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro. Thanks to Bethany Frankel. Alyssa, thank you for being here with me, as always, as a ride or die. That's that's great. Um, where should people get in touch with us? Twitter? You can tweet at us if tweet you want. Tweet us at hysteria at crooked.com. For emails. For yeah. emails. Yeah. Um, for emails. Uh, if you have any stories that you think might be a good thing for us to discuss on future episodes, we've gotten great tips on our email. Uh, and then if you like the show, please rate and review us and tell your friends. And there will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation is our Janet. But these girls got a fan it. Y2K email and scan it. Don't take no for an answer. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Nia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. When Tillamook ice cream beckons you to the freezer aisle, which irresistibly creamy flavor do you choose? While you're thinking, try not to fuck up the glass. Tillamook ice cream. 
extraordinary dairy.